0: If you had a cup of salt water, and you wanted to clean out the salt, where would you start? If you're a seabird, you've evolved with the ability to drink seawater and sneeze out the salt, so you get an instant pass. But the odds are, since you're listening to this, that you're not a seabird. Or are you? Either way, you've still got some options. We've known for a long time that we can desalinate water through distillation, Heating the water to a vapor and letting it condense again, which separates out the salt. There's osmosis, moving water through a membrane that acts like a filter, separating the water from the salt. Or you can get fancy with something like electrodialysis, which uses electricity to separate the water from the salt. But what if the water is worse than salty? what if it's full of chemicals and waste products how would you clean a cup or a gallon or a swimming pool of industrial wastewater when the old-fashioned tricks just won't cut it and when you can't just sneeze it out like a seabird what kind of innovation and ingenuity does that take that is exactly the problem that saltworks technologies is trying to solve so we sat down with their ceo Ben Sparrow to discuss industrial wastewater treatment, desalination, cleaning the world's toughest waters, and what it's going to take to do that, here on Carbon Copy.
1: My name is Ben Sparrow. I'm the CEO and Chief Engineer of Saltworks Technologies.
0: Uh, Thanks for joining us today, Ben. I always enjoy talking to you. So let's start off. Tell me a little bit about Saltworks Technologies. How long have you been around and what is it that the company does?
1: So Saltworks Technologies is a little over 12 years old. We're focused on developing, commercializing and then rolling out industrial desalination technology. So this is not desalting seawater, which has largely been figured out. This is desalting industrial waste, whether it be from mines or oil and gas or factories. And then also more recently, recovering value from that industrial waste. So making clean water and recovering value and trying to do so as economically as possible.
0: Well, that sounds exciting. So I understand your team is working on a project that was recently awarded funding from ERA. Before you tell me about the project itself, I'd like to learn a bit more about the technology. What is the technology that you're advancing in this particular project?
1: Sure. We've stood on the shoulders of the most dominant technology in desalination, reverse osmosis, and we've turbocharged it. So for those who aren't aware, reverse osmosis, you squeeze salt water through a membrane, the membrane rejects the salt, and you have clean water left behind. That's how over 95% of the world's seawater is desalinated. And then if you take those systems and, and you apply them to an industrial site, like let's imagine cooling tower water that's uh, leaving the system. You may be able to get 80% water recovery with conventional reverse osmosis. So that means you get 80% of the volume back as clean, pristine water, and then 20% is a concentrated waste. And that's a problem because that can be a really large volume when you think about 20% of waste day in, day out. You're filling up Olympic-sized swimming pools. And so what we've done is we've invented technology that turbocharges RO, reverse osmosis, takes it from 80% to 99% recovery. So rather than having 20% left over, you've only got 1% left over. That's 20 times less of those Olympic-sized swimming pools. We compress waste, we recover more water, and by using membranes like reverse osmosis, it's less expensive and much more energy efficient than the previous alternatives.
0: So at the surface, this certainly sounds like a, a no-brainer, so to speak. Are there others that are doing what your team is doing? Who, who are your competitors in this space?
1: Oh, there's a very hot and tight race in turbocharging reverse osmosis. Um, all sorts of fantastic technologies. Um, some small companies, such as DuPont, uh, Suez, Violia, who are now one. So multiple competitors. Um, we take a slightly different tilt on it, and uh, that's been a bit of a benefit so far.
0: So, can you talk a little bit about what that tilt is and and how it benefits you? Sure.
1: So a lot of people are trying to tweak the membrane surface and and do things to prevent the membrane from getting damaged. And that gets you a little bit of recovery. They get you from 80% to 84%. What we do is we specifically focus the bad actors that prevent achieving this incredibly high recovery. So we know what chemicals, what constituents are going to target or damage a membrane system and impede it, if you will, act like a break, and we get them out. So for step one, we, we take those bad actors out and we do so in a way that's very friendly for a membrane system. And that's where there's some new technology and innovation. And once we've gotten those bad actors out, we can enable reverse osmosis and it's new generation of technology, which I can get into to operate at it, its maximum performance. So ultimately we lay down a nice smooth road for RO to drive on and to get the best out of it.
0: That's a very cool analogy. Now, our organizations have interacted in the past years ago, ERA funded a smaller project with Saltworks Technologies. Can you tell me about if and how these projects are related? Does does this build on ERA's previous investment?
1: Yes, it does. It's all about, both of them, providing industry the technologies that they need to operate beyond 2020 to meet their water goals, to meet regulatory requirements. And it's all about reducing the amount of wastewater from industrial processes. Uh, i can get into that if you like but uh, there's a a lot of wastewater that's generated um, it tends to be of almost good enough quality uh, but it needs to be upgraded and it's all about upgrading that wastewater and re- reducing the amount of brine byproduct that compressed waste left over at the end of the day
0: as you know era emissions reduction alberta is sort of all about greenhouse gas emissions reductions can you I know paint me a picture of how this exciting opportunity relates to greenhouse gas reductions and, and maybe give me a sense of the scale for for those reductions. for example, in in you know a, a commercial facility, what would that look like?
1: Sure. well, well, first, maybe i'll um i'll I'll zoom out to sort of the national level and what's happening internationally. A lot of governments are recognizing that the best way to protect their water sources uh, for millennia is to protect the rivers and lakes. If you protect the rivers and lakes, you tend to have, if you have them, you tend to have very good water available for your population moving forward. So there's increasing protection of rivers, lakes and aquatic ecosystems. Equally, corporations are um, driving environmental, social and governance much harder, especially institutional shareholders. And so there's this pressure under industrial operations to use less water and to only put high quality water back into the ecosystem. And that's a change. That hasn't always been the case for human history. And so that's changing. And um, what that means is if you, say, operate an oil and gas site or a mining site or a factory where we're seeing a tremendous amount of growth is factories and uh, you're producing a wastewater and then you need to treat it. If you imagine that you're treating it at 80 percent freshwater recovery, you have this 20 percent waste left over. That could be a couple Olympic swimming pools per day. Where does that go? And so where it ends up going in North America is it ends up going into a truck into a heavy-duty diesel truck. And then that truck is shipped to a site called a disposal well, where that water is injected deep underground. And so these sites, when they start, when they're forced to recover their water and treat it, they could have 40 trucks a day leaving their sites. And you imagine the GHG emissions associated with the trucking and the hauling, in addition to the social impacts of the increased trucks on the road and what have you. And so when you, again, when you compress that waste from being 20% of the total volume down to only one, Uh, there's a huge reduction in the trucks it's a 20x reduction in trucks so rather than 40 trucks a day leaving the site you might only have two and in the case of our ea project era project it goes to zero so we're taking trucks off the road uh, putting fresh clean water back into industrial processes and then there's a third benefit on the back end since we're putting fresh water back into their processes they're extracting less water from the ecosystem to begin with so the era project will also leave the bow river with a little more water at the end of the day
0: Oh, very exciting. So uh, that's a really good segue to talk a little bit about the, the project that we're now partnering on. And I'm really excited actually to hear about how you're saying you're going to take that from 1% to 0%. So can, maybe just we can take a step back. Tell me a little bit about the project that you're currently working on.
1: Sure. So there's um, an agrochemical facility in Alberta that has identified and they're a leading producer and very much focused on sustainability they've identified both an environmental and an economic opportunity to recover more water um, from their plant and uh, this water's cooling tower blow water for listeners that don't know what that is industrial processes power plants they all need cooling um, people use cooling water in um, pardon me they use water in cooling towers where a portion of its evaporated atmosphere to cool the process uh, in the US, cooling tower um, water extract uh, accounts for about 44% of all surface water use. So almost half of the water used in the United States goes for cooling. And so as they're using this water and cooling and some of it's evaporating, it's becoming more saline and more concentrated. And um, that can be challenging for to discharge. So in this specific project, what we're doing is we're taking this um, unique cooling tower water, because every single site's different, we're recovering 98 to 99% of it as very fresh water, and we're compressing the waste down to a minimized product. And at this site specifically, they happen to have a small legacy evaporation pond. And because the waste is so minimal at the end of the day, it can go into that evaporation pond and Mother Nature will take care of the rest, evaporating that final 1%.
0: Very exciting. So what stage are you at in the project now?
1: So we're just starting detailed design, and then we'll soon ramp up production. There's been a, um, we did a very fulsome field pilot at the site for two months, 24 seven, the plant ran like a champ, met all these metrics, proved that it could be done at 99% water recovery. And uh, now it's time to build a full scale unit. And it's very important to get that first full scale unit right and to de-risk it for the rest of the industry because people are watching. And this is where ERA is essential. ERA provides much needed de-risking support. So the first installs of new technology such as this are done correctly. If a new technology doesn't work on the first install, it can be very difficult to get the second, third or fourth. And so what we need to do is make this project a demonstration for the industry, a demonstration of Alberta's capabilities, and then grow globally from there on.
0: So you're working on engineering now, and then next you said you'll be essentially producing your commercial scale unit. Give me a sense of the the timelines. When when could we potentially expect to see something installed at this partner's facility?
1: Sure. It's uh, potentially scheduled right now for 2023, 2024. Mm-hmm. So we'll start building uh, hopefully next year and then install the year after and start it up.
0: And. How will you know then if the project ends up being a success? Do you have some defined success metrics or can you talk in broad strokes about what does success look like for this project?
1: Sure. Um, high level there's three and two are very specific to the project and the third's more global. Um, so achieving the water recovery goals that we set out to. So you know, if we're talking about 99 98% water recovery, we need to achieve that. So achieving that fresh water recovery using a low energy membrane system rather than a much higher energy thermal system, boiling water, or putting the water into trucks. So water recovery is one of them. Um, everything's about cost. Uh, so the total cost of ownership of the unit needs to pencil out combination of capital cost, operating cost, etc. So we need to make sure it's economic. And then the third one is um, we, nobody wants this to be a science project for one site. We want to dispatch this technology across Alberta, across Canada and internationally, because that provides all sorts of benefits for Albertans and Canadians um, by, uh releasing and exporting new novel technology for the rest of the world that the world requires and with that Canada can grow an additional new industry one link to clean technology and one link to the future
0: so you know i'm just building on the the last part of that there if it is successful which i hope it will be wildly successful can you give me a sense of um i don't know the breadth of the opportunity here could this be replicated elsewhere in the province i think one of the things that you said is that every site is different. Um, so, you know, give me a sense for the replicability.
1: Highly replicable. Now, the technology itself, if we think about it as Mr. Potato Head, there's the Mr. Potato Head core, and then we bolt other things onto it. And, and so it's modular, and we have all these different modules and technologies that get assembled for a specific site. And the AgriChem facility in Alberta is one version of that. But everything that's being designed under the hood is repeatable. So, it's a repeatable module. And um, we're already selling those some of those modules industrially into US industrial operations, whether they be microelectronics or automotive manufacturing. And so not only are the components, the modules of the technology replicable, but the full system is itself. And again, what's driving this globally is uh, as nations try to protect their aquatic ecosystems, and at the same time, lower GHGs, and it's challenging to do both. This technology enables tools for both. Now, every country is different. Some countries will put in regulations ahead of others. The United States tends to be ahead. Um, South Korea is uh, definitely leaning in and there's others. So we'll continue to commercialize in the jurisdictions that um, are seeking to protect their water just as Alberta is. And then as time goes on, of course, others will catch up. So it's a big potential market. It's a growth market. It's the proverbial hockey stick. But we're starting to absolutely see indications of that first hockey stick ramp. I mean, we're just slammed, which is good news.
0: Emissions Reduction Alberta takes action on climate change and supports economic growth by investing in clean technology solutions that reduce greenhouse gas emissions, lower costs, attract investment, and create jobs here in Alberta. These investments help innovators develop and demonstrate technology that can lower emissions at home and be exported to the world. That's why we've committed over $820 million dollars to more than 220 projects worth a total of $6.6 billion. To learn more about emissions reduction in Alberta, visit eralberta.ca. So in terms of order of magnitude, you know, in, in Alberta, are there, I don't know if you have any quantitative sense, but are there maybe five sites, 10 sites, 20 sites that this could be replicated at, or is that number yet unknown?
1: Uh, that will depend on regulations as it relates to disposal. Alberta is blessed, many facets, right? Tremendous talented population, tremendous energy resources, but Alberta also has access to very good disposal. So a lot of space underground where they can inject this wastewater. Uh, in the future, Alberta may take decisions on, on to inject less wastewater into the ground and to treat it and to keep it on the surface for use by the aquatic ecosystem and Albertans. So and so it'll depend on how uh, aggressive Alberta is in terms of those regulations, uh, in terms of the uptake. But nevertheless, there's probably today under the current regulatory framework, we could foresee over the next 10 years, maybe six to eight additional industrial sites. And then when you pack in oil and gas, the, the potential is tremendous. Uh, because oil and gas has done a great job at recovering and reusing the vast majority of their water, but there's still that brine waste left over. And um, I can say that because oil and gas were original funders of salt Saltworks Technologies about eight years ago. They saw that they would need these sorts of technologies uh, to protect the environment and to keep their systems and operations economic as they move forward. So oil and gas could be the real sort of amplifier. On this, but again, it dep- depends how far away one is from disposal and what is that cost of disposal relative to the cost of the technology, and that's what everybody's working on right now: is driving down the cost, driving up uptake.
0: So you said that you're uh, proverbially at somewhere around the heel of the hockey stick, which is a which is a really exciting place to be. You're slammed. What what are the the next steps? I mean, you're, you're going to work on this project, and that's going to help inform future projects, particularly if it's a smashing success. But there, there must be other opportunities that your team is working on now in parallel. Is there anything that you can share with us? Oh, sure.
1: A ton of global opportunities. Fortunately, a lot of them are just across the border in the United States, a very easy market for Canadians to access. Um, so, the technology is being dispatched into factories that are seeking to expand their operations or de-bottleneck them, i.e. make more semiconductor chips. But if they were to make more semiconductor chips, they would have a wastewater problem because as you produce more product, uh, you produce more waste and it it just doesn't fit within one's existing permit. So notable growth from what we call brownfield factories aiming to expand or de-bottleneck. So we've seen um, and continue to see a number of those. Uh, an exciting area that we've um, been pulled into over the last two to three years is uh, lithium refining and extraction. So the same technology has been used to help lithium producers upgrade their lithium and then also extract it as battery-grade lithium carbonate and on the pathway to battery-grade lithium hydroxide. So we've seen growth in lithium, we've seen growth in factories. Um, Miners can absolutely use it. And then our DNA, our pedigree, it does come from oil and gas. And with oil and gas uh, starting to pick up again, we're starting to turn over that stone with our uh, partner and client oil and gas companies to see what we can do to help them improve their economics of water treatment.
0: So lithium, um, factories, oil and gas, Mining, these are all based on these opportunities, are all based on the same platform technology. Is that correct?
1: That's exactly right. Rearranging the parts of Mr. Potato Head in slightly different ways, but it's the same core part spin modules, skids, if you will, at the end of the day.
0: So, is there um, any other nascent opportunities, or is your team working on any other kind of configurations of the Mr. Potato Head technology, so to speak? Um, that are up and coming that you can, you know, that that you're willing to share any tidbits with us around?
1: Uh, Well, uh, what I can share is we're so laser focused on these first installations and making sure they're a success and serving the need that we have in front of us that it's really the deep focus is industrial wastewater and then recovering value such as lithium. Mm -hmm. Uh, Once we get our heads back above water through this growth spurt and and, um, continue on a scale-up, then we may be able to do some more R&D and innovation and see what other opportunities are out there.
0: Yeah, I think that laser focus will serve you well. Now, just changing gears slightly for a minute, you've come a long way as an organization with some real exciting accomplishments, and I can only assume some challenges along the way. Can you share what some of the biggest lessons learned in your journey have been so far?
1: Sure. Um, I guess twofold, two themes. One is to make sure you have many wheels on the bus. So do not count on a single technology, do not count on a single industry. Um, Had we focused on just one customer's problem, um, which we did a little bit early on, um, if that one customer's problem, the need to procure a solution doesn't work out, you're in trouble. So diversify, diversify your technologies, diversify your customer base, diversify your markets, while also trying to balance that with maintaining focus. It's a double-edged sword and it takes uh, talented people to do that. I'm lucky to have a fantastic management team and board around me. The other one is HR, people. Um, Something that completely caught me by surprise is, so our company, for your listeners' background, we started in my apartment, uh, two people. And then we moved to a fish factory garage. We grew to maybe eight people. And then we kept growing from there. What caught me by surprise was when the company uh, got past 40 people. The culture changed considerably, and I wasn't ready for that. I was was a little bit blindsided. And then I saw it again at 80 people. And so I call it my own personal rule of HR, the rule of 40. And so to be aware and to really pay attention to company culture, policies, and uh, to how one's leadership style may have to change from a smaller enterprise to a larger and growing enterprise.
0: So how big are you now?
1: Uh, we are about eighty five people. We had a bit of a dip, and then um, with contractors, we're about one hundred and twenty people. We do subcontract out a fair bit, so we try to focus on the engineering and the technology.
0: Oh well, congratulations on on such a success story. Now, along that journey, along with the lessons that you've learned can you can you maybe talk a little bit about the role of collaboration and resources in your successes so far and you know maybe even talk about some of the resources that have helped support saltworks along the way
1: you bet um, so there's fantastic resources available in canada for innovators um, i'll start with the people C- canada produces very well educated intelligent hard-working people so we're really pleased to be located here and then our government um, provincially and federally have recognized that investing in innovation can provide quite a return for Canadians and so there's government um, assistance available whether it be both financial and or technical commercial and ERA is one of them an absolutely fantastic organization that helps innovators and entrepreneurs and large companies take risks that they normally wouldn't and in order to innovate one needs to take risks they need to have courage and organizations such as yours provide the capital to have that courage to take the risk but they also provide the coaching and the mentorship that's necessary as firms are growing, so so that's just been absolutely fantastic, and it's an essential ingredient that does set Canada apart on the innovation spectrum. Now we know that Canada has a tremendous amount of startup and innovation might, and we have a bit of a problem with scale up. But that's a topic for another podcast, another day.
0: <laughs> well, we'll have to we'll have to reschedule sometime to dig a little bit deeper into that. So, is there anything I didn't ask you about that you'd want our listeners to know, or that you'd? you just want to share with us today? I think
1: to know that heavy industry, out there really does care we work with a lot of oil and gas and large industrial companies and they really do care they're absolutely trying their best not only maintain their existing operations maintain existing employment but improve their operations Um, humankind didn't need to treat wastewater for millennia for a very long period of time and then we only recently started to treat wastewater in the last hundred years or so and now we're getting into industrial wastewater and so it's a new field and and so with that, to um, have some patience, but with that, to also take some risk and to support organizations like ERA, they're enabling those to take risk and to innovate. And it's, you know, if we use the baseball game analogy, before I used to say that our industry is in warm up, well, now it's inning one, right? We're just at the start of that hockey stick and uh, decisions that are made today and actions that are taken today during inning one will put companies and jurisdictions such as Alberta on the right foot to really profit and do well in innings six and seven. So to continue to take those risks and actions today in a calculated fashion, because it is a future industry, and that future is coming. And if you believe that water is going to be more valuable, if you believe that people are going to want lower GHG impacts associated with all industries, then it's an exciting field to be in.
0: Well, thank you very much, Ben. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. I wish you tremendous success in the project that we're that we're partnered on. And I look forward to chatting with you again.
1: Mark, thank you. Thank you to ERA and to Albertans for investing in innovation. It really is making a difference, and it will provide a return for our future generations. So thank you.